0: For January 25th, 2021, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 656. Us is also the country that the poem is about. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm Matt, and that's
1: Pete. Hey, Pete, how are you doing? Hey, I'm ready for a story two-hander. Are yeah. you ready for a story two-hander? It
0: is. It's a story. I mean, the bards will write poems. We'll write long poems about it, and they will. And then we can hope that someone sits on a podcast and analyzes the poem that someone has written <laughs> about our our storied. Uh, Two handers, hey gang! We're um we're in a kind of a unique situation, and not just because we we recently passed uh, on the twenty second of January the thirteenth anniversary of the founding of Overthinking it. Not exactly the founding, I suppose. The founding was done at some uh, indeterminate time before that, but the the first publication on Overthinking it was uh, January twenty second, two thousand eight. So congratulations, Pete. You were, you were part of that original group. And here, here we are. Last men standing. No, it's not. (laughs) That's not, that's not true. Uh, but, uh, not, not only that, but because, um, you know, there is a kind of fundamental irony in, encoded into overthinking it where we like took you know i don't know how i met your mother and like wrote long scholarly articles about or or dragon ball is probably a better example given the composition of this panel right and uh and you know we subjected them to a level of scrutiny they probably well i mean we did deserve it's ironic to say they probably don't deserve but to to a level of scrutiny that would be more appropriate let's say in a college literature seminar right do you think that's that's fair
1: that was our what our mission statement I that was, yeah,
0: yeah, that was at the at the beginning. Well, this week for popular culture, the culture has given us an actual honest to goodness poem. Yes. That is like the hottest thing in popular culture right now. Uh that is, you know, um the idea, the idea, the idea that like we're going to have to talk about it. Uh, as though we, uh, as though we are in a college literature seminar. (laughs) And so for this episode of the podcast, uh, we present the, a, um, a close reading, a college literature seminar style conversation about the hill we climb by Amanda Gorman, who is the, uh, the, this was kind of bobbled at the inauguration itself, but I, I believe it is accurate to say she is the youth poet laureate. Um, the youngest one of those ever so designated. And, uh, this was the inauguration poem, the inaugural poem for, um, President Joe Biden and sort of a, a, a sort of secular and aesthetic benediction on his, uh, on his administration. Um, though maybe that even is is assuming or saying too much. So so let's dive in, Pete. Do you have a do you have a prolegomenon uh, that you <laughs> want to uh, that you want to establish for this before um, uh, before I dive in with uh, some English seminar stuff?
1: Yeah, sure. So we are at least in part reacting to a lot of takes about this poem in the media that don't give it appropriate credit for being a poem and a good poem. <laughs> Uh, in the sense that it is complex, it is interesting, it is sophisticated, and also it is not easy. It it has both the surface level, which works, I believe, that does inspire and you hear it the first time and you know what it's about and you know what they're talking about. But it does reward going into it and, and picking it apart. So I would suggest that you try it. Uh, if you want to go into this poem yourself, we're not going to exhaustively go through everything that this poem is about certainly one of the un- inconvenient truths about literature is that when it enters into different cir- circles of readership, the people who are discussing it have different frames of reference and different touch points and different kind of perspectives. So, so our particular take on this poem may not be your particular take on this poem and is not the particular take on the poem, uh, but it's ours. And we figure that since you like listening to us talk about other things, maybe we could talk about this take because it's a great poem. Sure. So yeah. So so I just want to I want to say. That that if you've heard that the poem isn't worth it, I would strongly disagree. I think the poem's worth it. I think it's an interesting poem. Sure, and, and,
0: and yeah. Oh, sorry, Pete. Didn't mean. I no, thought no, no, you
1: were no. Yeah, and, and, and then and then just also that uh, it's also interesting for the occasion, and that it is, but it is also interesting even if it weren't the occasion. I think there's a lot going on in here that is worth talking about. That, that's I just wanted to put that out there up front because I definitely there's definitely a certain alienation that happens when you encounter a poem that is really tightly constructed in the sense that it has lots of sort of nested ambiguities and references. And I would say with this poem in particular, there are two things that make it a little bit difficult, which is it has a lot of references, has a lot of ambiguities. And so we're going to go through a bunch of those. And we're also going to talk about it in larger and smaller sense. But these are not things that you might necessarily be able to pick up upon hearing somebody read it for the first time. It does seem to be a poem that benefits from having it on on paper or on a screen in front of you. So we would also suggest that you find a copy of the poem and bring it up and read along with us uh, because I think that that will make it easier to parse what's going on. And you'll start to see how the pieces of this poem fit together, perhaps the way that you see it and perhaps there is some consensus, maybe or maybe not, to be had about what other people might see. So that's my prolecomodon. So
0: yeah, I, I 100% agree. Also, in terms of like, uh, in terms of following along, I'm not aware of a of a text that's been published that has been sort of blessed by Amanda Gorman, by the poet herself. So, um, you're, you're going to be dealing with transcripts, which may have like varying levels of fidelity to, you know, punctuation or lineation that she might wish were there or not there, uh, in, in the poem, but actually and there's like interesting syntactic things that, that happen. I, yeah. I want to also kind of cosign. Uh, what Pete said and kind of actually take it a step further to say that like what we're aiming for is not a take per se. We're we're aiming to sort of like discuss a little bit how it works and the, and the justifiable and, and, you know, richly deserved kind of enthusiasm uh, for the poem. And, and also the, like the one or two instances of criticism that I've, that not literary criticism of, of um. Uh, critical comment that I've seen are kind of beside the point to at least what I take, what my project is here to kind of figure out how how it works, like how it is a use of language that accomplishes uh, the the many things that that it um, accomplishes. Fair to say? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I used to start when I was uh, when I was an English teacher in high school and college uh, teaching high school English or introductory like literature and composition um, to either to uh, freshmen or to upper class people who were... Um, <laughs> just behind on their literature requirement and had to like take this required class and got stuck with me one of the things that I would ask when we we uh started a new genre of literature or at least a genre that we had not seen before was uh what do you notice about this like what is weird about this if you consider sort of natural speech you know uh, as normal what um what is it about this that that stands out and like i meant I, this was, it was very hard to get people to say the obvious, right? Because they think you're, you're being clever and I wasn't. I meant like, well, gosh, we're reading this play and it turns out that like every paragraph has a name at the head of it and then a colon and then a bunch of things that the person is supposed to say. It's like, yes. Oh, we're reading a novel and like all of a sudden so, so, something's being like described to us and who's doing that? It's like, yes, exactly. Right. And so in, in terms of poetry, it was always that, well, it, it's, it's like words; they're fancier, but then like it has a like da 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 da, and and also it rhymes and stuff like that, right? Like, um, so are there? Uh, and and then you go, then you go into that. This is a, you know, this is a way of introducing ideas of like line breaks and um, meter and what I've heard called the kind of the organized violence that that. Poetry kind of imposes on the language where in, in natural speech, you would never hear, you know, phrases of 10 syllables with particular stress patterns and like rhymes coming at, you know, at precise intervals. Uh, but in poetry, you hear that all the time or you don't, which is, you know, interesting, uh, as well. On just as we dive in, Pete, on a surface level, is there anything that, that, uh you notice that about this that you want to that you want to kind of highlight or kind of point out uh that will kind of be a at least an an initial critical apparatus for us
1: to get started with sure i think the most surface level question about the poem is the heavy use of the word we mm. Does, that's one of the things I always like to look at in a poem first, right? Is what are the pronouns and do the pronouns ever change? Right. Because at the points where uh, pronouns in a in a poem, and I don't mean in the sense of gender. I mean, if a poem is using a pronoun to apply to a particular uh, figure, right? And then the use of the product, predominant pronoun being used changes. It might mean that the, the entreaties of the poem are being directed to a different person or a different group of people. So you might say, you know, you did this. You did this. You did this. We did that, right? And all and there's a big turn in the poem between w- you and we, right? Something along those lines. And yeah. this poem leans very hard on the word we, mm. and the word we, I think, at a couple of places uh, changes or has moments where it sort of becomes unsteady as to what it's referring to. Yep. Uh, and, uh, and 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 so I think part of getting after the poem is getting after the word we and who we might be, which is, I guess, kind of what the core question of the poem is. Uh, There's also situations which I think are interesting from a typography standpoint, because if there were commas in certain places, the we might mean something different than if there weren't commas in different places. But because we don't have an authoritative text on this, we should assume, I think, that it is ambiguous as to where the commas might be. And so the sentences might mean multiple things. Uh, other than that, on a surface level, I would say that it's a poem that goes in and out of end stopping mm, yep. and, in and, and in and out of enjambment and in and out of of regular meter versus sort of freer meter. It has enough variation that it doesn't seem to have a metrical, formal standard uh, center of gravity. Right. But at the same time, it's not entirely breadth of, uh, it kind of uh, what you might think of as sing-songy sections. Sure. Uh, yeah. I, so, so those are sort of surface level things that I see about it.
0: Yeah. Great. To that, to those, I'll add: um, listen to where you hear rhymes. Uh, mm-hmm. Listen to where you expect to hear rhymes and don't, and mm-hmm. then listen to words that that sound the same, that are the same, or sound the same, or almost the same, just a little bit different, and how they. Um, how they, uh, mean different things in a lot of cases. Because if, if Pete is going into this and he's going to be, um, reference and ambiguity guy, I'm going to be phonel- phonology guy today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at least try to offer some perspectives from that. So the the technique we're going to employ is called close reading. It's a uh, technique of literary analysis, you know, associated I guess with what the like new criticism in the the interwar period in the 20th century and um involves sort of going going line by line and sort of re-reading and and trying to uh, unpack is a word that's associated a lot with this this particular kind of technique. Um a lot of the things that are uh, sort of metaphorically packed, packed in there. So, you know, we'll probably will, we haven't decided this, but it, it is likely that we will read a section and uh, talk about it, uh, you know, for several hours. And then in this 500 part series, we'll get on to the, <laughs>
1: we'll get on to the next one. Uh, you want to kick
0: it off, Pete? Why don't you do the honors? Sure. Let's start with
1: the title. Okay. So the, the, the title of the poem is, oh, and also, by the way, the version of it that we're using is the congressional record version the the version that was entered into the congressional record which um i think you can you can find uh if you go looking for it but uh so if there are slight differences in the version you're looking at that's that might be why but the title is the hill we climb as we understand it right i've also seen it referred to as the hill we climb an inaugural poem for the country and i would suggest that the hill we climb has several immediate suggestions as to what it might be all right so the
0: next three hours of this podcast are going to be on on the title (laughs) of the poem
1: to make it super simple right uh climbing a hill right is something difficult right it's also something that makes things better it is both something that is challenging and painful it is also something that makes things better because when you climb a hill you get to the top eventually right uh, it is not a coincidence that this poem was read at the Capitol building, which is on Capitol Hill. Right. And so the idea that they are on top of the hill while they're reading this, while at the same time talking about a hill related to adversity and also a hill related to triumph. It's all connected. Right. Uh, that That's the sort of sense. OK, what we're talking about here isn't going to be just about the inauguration of this president. It's going to be in sort of broad strokes about uh, adversities that will be referred to herein, right? Um, it, we're not talking about running up that hill; that's different. Uh, but uh, not the 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 is it Kate Bush song? Kate Bush, we running <laughs> up that
0: hill, running <laughs> but, up that
1: hill. But but yes, but it's it's the hill we climb, right? Okay, great. So there's an aspiration. And there is an adversity that's in this poem. Great. Well, So, yeah, and, I mean, yeah. the
0: hill, sorry, the, the hill we Give climb more. is different depending on where you stand uh, on the hill, you know, the uh, where, where with the noble Duke of York who had 10,000 men who <laughs> marched them up to the top of the hill and then he marched them down again. Now, I've heard it said, Pete, that when you're up, you're up. And when you're down, you're down. <laughs> and when you're only halfway up, you're neither up you nor know, down.
1: I had a whole bunch of different references like that, but I threw them over my shoulder like a continental soldier. <laughs> <laughs> um, an inaugural poem for the country, I've heard it referred to. That is, of course, four is loaded there. Is it is it for the country to listen to? Is it because the country is being inaugurated? There's a suggestion in this poem that there is a rebirth that is currently taking place while you're listening to it. Uh, or reading it, so I think keep that in mind. Great, sure. And that's the, that's the, the title.
0: The first yeah. rebirth, right, is in the first line of the poem. And as as you know, you hear this first line read by Pete. Uh, please keep in mind the the national anthem. The lines of the national anthem. Oh, oh, say, can you see through the dawn's early light what so
1: proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming? Right, exactly. Which is when day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never ending shade? Uh, right. Which I think she inflected it differently than that. and I wish I had uh, a version written by her so I know exactly how she she inflected it. But yes, you're spot on identifying that uh, that this is echoing the national anthem. Right. At least that's what it feels like. But of course, it's posing a different sort of issue. Right. A different sort of problem. The national anthem in terms of day and night. Is about the country being under assault and bombardment, and the flag, you know, as a as a metonym for the country, is is, uh, is also under bombardment. And then the day comes, and you see that the the flag is fine, right? And so there's this notion that there's this chaos and conflict at night, and then the day comes, and you see what has happened, right? Now that the conflict is over, um, and so I think a, that a will brief- also play into. Brief, yeah. brief
0: point of, brief, brief little, uh, uh, you know, point of, uh, pedantic, sure. uh, pedantry. Point of pedantry, sir. Yeah. The, um, uh, it's a question. The national anthem is a question. Can you see? And, and the, oh, question, yeah. the question is unanswered. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so that is, it, it is a nice little bit of ambiguity there, uh, in, in the form often of triumphalism or, yeah. you know, ball games. But, but, uh, sorry to interrupt you
1: course don't interrupt dude this is we're not interrupting we're, we're we're discussing this is what it's all about this question will be answered at the end of the poem <laughs> which is maybe helpful to know as you enter into it that uh the question where can we find light in this never-ending shade it's like hang in there i got you right that's coming eventually <laughs> i would like to point out the phrase never-ending shade yeah. carries a bunch of different shades of meaning oh uh, <laughs> oh. Oh, wow. oh oh boy oh boy uh, so, so of course, shade. Okay.
0: shade we discuss them all.
1: <laughs> Let me turn off my shade. Um, so, and again, not to make light of it, this is a poem that is extremely concerned with race. <laughs> you, you have to know that this poem is extremely concerned with race. It is extremely concerned with race, right? Like this is, even though it doesn't really say it in in really super clear language, uh, like straight out front that it is really concerned with race it's really concerned with race right i mean i would even say it does say it but i think it's possible to listen to the poem and and hear a sort of uh fairly neutral appeal to unity and kind of positivity and progress but this poem i i I think once you delve into what it says uh, and, and like recall the words that kind of breeze by in the beginning usually concerned with race. Shade, right? First of all, it's, uh, I mean, this is a young person who's giving the talk. Shade, or read the poem, shade is derision, right? Uh, Shade is is a sort of disdain that gets cast upon things, uh, right? Uh, To throw shade, right? Shade here is also, when you think about it, uh, the, the fact that the day is coming and there's going to be shade, that means that something is blocking the sun. So what might be causing a shadow that's blocking the sun, what's blocking the day, right? So that's the other concern. It's we need to find the light. We're stuck in the shadow, right? And, and the day is here and we need to find the light. That seems like a, a metaphorical problem that seems pretty straightforward, right? Um, and I would also posit that never-ending shade is uh, a reference to the endurant issues of race in america and particularly the the problems of being black in america who of course the author of the poem and reader of the poem is uh, right and not to speak for her but to speak with her words right to, to sort of highlight her words right to find light in the never-ending shade this question of how can we right uh in in this problem of you know the uh the shade of our skin which has caused us all this you know which is the poem is going to go on to it and, and, and elaborate on this, that it's both caused suffering and created an occasion for endurance and greatness of character. And caused, um, and caused death as well. And right? caused like death, yes.
0: The the shade, the, the shadow of death, the valley of the right, shadow of
1: death. Right, 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 right. Because it's also a very biblical poem in a bunch of places too. So yes, so the shade is, is just super loaded. Skin tone, disdain, evils of the past, shadow of death. Right. The day has come. Well, what is the day? I think that it's another question that we need to put a pin in and see what the poem has to say about it. Right. When day comes. Are we at day now? Is day something that's happening in the future? Right. Uh, that, that's not something that the poem has answered just yet. So so I would posit that that's that's where we are at the beginning of the poem. Right. We are trying to find the light. Uh, we are climbing the hill. Right. Um, and, and we have an ambiguity established between something that is blotting up the sun and also uh, the color of the skins of Americans and how Americans deal with that. Right. Sure. Uh, which is a super, super simple way to say it. Uh, shall we move on to the next little yep. piece?
0: Let's go. Let's uh, uh, listen. Let's I know song. we got to
1: move. We got to move. It's a longer. it's not a long poem, but any poem that's really nicely put together is going to take a long time to talk about, which is one of the reasons why people never talk about them. The loss we carry, a see Me we must wade. We braved the belly of the beast, right? So I definitely saw several reviews that missed this. I think it seems pretty obvious that they're talking – that she's talking about the middle passage, yep. meaning – The packing of Africans into the bellies of ships and bringing them across the sea to, for enslavement and forced labor in the, in in this case, North America, but the Americas in general and other parts of the world, right? Um, and so wading the sea is something that is impossible, right? But we must, but we must do it. We're being called upon to walk across the sea. Uh, the loss we carry, um, well, who is we, right? So, so we, if we are the carriers, right, then we are the ones who are driving the ships, right? But if we brave the belly of the beast, then we are the ones who are in the ships.
0: Sure. It's also, and so, it's also impossible to carry a loss, right? Because a loss is an absence. It's an absence right. of something. And, you know, you sort of can't carry And absence, but yeah, so the, the different kind of, the different kind of modes of containment and of sort of theft, right? Of, of identity, of liberty, of culture, right? Um, and whether and sort of who's carrying who, who's carrying, who's carrying what you can think of carry in the sense of the, the Vietnam War book, the things they carried. Yeah, uh, Yeah. Right. Like as in the kind of the, the trauma response or the, you know, the kind of legacy as a, as a sort of legacy, um, that you,
1: uh, that you carry. Right. Exactly. So this, so we're speaking of a collective trauma that is experienced, not all in the same way by different people, uh, which I think would be how it would be framed in the, that's Tim O'Brien, right? It's yeah. book. Yes, yeah. there it is. Sorry. I didn't,
0: I didn't have it to, uh, on the tip of my tongue. There's, there's another thing that that's operating here that I think is like, um, uh, that I think is going to become important later. Right. So the, the belly of the beast, which is, you know, Jonah, but which is also the sort of the slave ships and also the, the actually kind of like waiting the sea, like if you know anything about the material reality of that, you know, uh, sea journey, um, they were below the waterline, you know, (laughs) or sort of like, and so they were kind of way uh, being made to wade, uh, wade the sea, the, the, Mm. not, not on their feet. The details of it are quite horrible in fact, but, um, but, uh, what's, what's described here is we braved the belly of the beast, right. As though, you know, and, and to me there was really, well in in one way of looking at it you know you can make the argument that there was really nothing brave about it, right? We're talking about people who are kidnapped and who were right. forced into, who were overpowered and sort of forced into bondage. And that is, you know, the, uh, that is a sort of a crime committed against you. It's not like a, a, a trial, you know, it's not like a, um, a something that you brave, like the, like the way you brave a, a t- tough mutter, you know, and like <laughs> right, right, right. weighed the, wade the electric shock, uh, riverbed or whatever it is. Like that, that's not that. But the idea that, that this is something, um, you know, it's sort of like climbing the hill again, like is, is climbing the hill the kind of the hardship of getting to the top, the physical exertion, the kind of the mental toughness that's needed to get to the top, or is climbing the hill the accomplishment of being, of having endured the climb? Right of having there is only the climb uh of having gotten to the <laughs> the top of the hill and sort of looking down um you know kind of reminiscing right on your on your accomplishment or on the thing you know on the thing that is that has ha that has happened in the past, so the idea of like braved the belly of the beast creates a kind of dual relationship with. Uh, With slavery, with like the the kind of the reality of the slave trade and that um, that it is both something that was um, sort of like a, a great historical evil that was done to a group of people, but that it's also something that that culture has endured. Right. And that is a legacy for their descendants from the vantage point of the top of the hill, as it were. Right. To look down on.
1: Right, right, right. And the poem will uh, hit this again a few times in succession in the next couple of stanzas, right, where we learned that quiet isn't always peace and the norms and notions of what just is isn't always justice. Uh, Here, I think we're talking about the this. Well, the civil rights movement is a phrase that's used to the point where it gets kind of reduced. But the struggle, right, uh, for freedom, not just from slavery, but then, also of course, from the subjugations that came after slavery, uh, and then after that, from the various, you know, direct and institutional, uh, you know, oppressions and prejudices that came after that, right? And, and the idea that you can't just sit by and wait, right, and hope that things will be okay. Things are not necessarily okay just because there is no conflict, right? right? Uh, and, and and so this idea that you know you're braving slavery, but you're also braving the fight that comes after slavery. Right. And we're also uh, recognizing that just sort of sitting and hoping that it was going to be fixed uh, for the United States was actually a huge error. <laughs> and I think you can you can play that out uh, through various kinds of narratives for various kinds of people. The we there can be pretty broad if you want it to be. I don't think I think the poem is primarily concerned with the people who are fighting against oppression at this point. Mm. But if you were to say, well, was it really smart to put off emancipation? Uh, well, if you look at the cost Right. Of what happened because you did. Uh, maybe it wasn't smart. Right. And, and maybe and maybe just saying, well, you know, this is the it is what it is. We, we can't really change it because it's too entrenched. But uh, but, you know, we all hate it. We all think it's bad. We're just not going to do anything about it. Right. Sure. Um, and, and I think that is the kind of attitude that's being uh, not not necessarily put to the question here, but acknowledged as broadly recognized as uh, as false or as misled which I think that there is an aspirational quality to this poem that the poem will also go on about where it refers to states of mind that I don't think that you could necessarily claim have been fully achieved, but which the poem calls upon you to achieve, right? Or to have achieved. Uh, I know that, um, Amanda Gorman, when she was writing this, said she studied a lot of uh, what well, she said, what uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Winston Churchill. She studied, you know, and there's a lot of Winston Churchill in this where it's like, you know, we will never surrender. We will fight them on the beaches. Da da, 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 da Right. This idea that you've set up this model for how people should feel about their situation, which might not necessarily be how they do feel about the situation.
0: No, but it's uh, a, it's yeah. aspirational to, to,
1: a right, 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 exactly. Now, so, so,
0: so phonology guy wants to, to yes. pipe up here a little bit sure. and, and talk about this. This was the first moment in the poem in seeing it on inauguration day and hearing it for the first time where my ears perked up and I was like, Oh, something's going on here. And yeah. it was what just is isn't always just is. Um, and, And so this is here. Here is where we get to like, here's where we get to sort of phonology and kind of phonological stuff. If you think of if you think of a, a poem as being as kind of happening on two planes, right? One is the the sort of phono aesthetic, just the sounds of words uh almost devoid of their semantic content right and just think of like vowels and consonants or if you're uh reading aloud as you should be like kind of how your mouth feels to to make those sounds or how your ear feels hearing those sounds um right at th- that is one level and then as a set of syntactic structures underneath that are, you know, that are semiotic, right? That convey meaning um, as, as a set of like uh, the kind of the meaning level of language, right? One of the things that poetry does, and here I am, con- you know, I, here I am really condensing probably like a master's thesis worth <laughs> of, of material into one, you know, one or two sentences. One of the things that poems do is sort of complicate the relationship between those two things, how these sounds mean, these things and other sounds mean other things. And if two things sound the same, do they mean the same or are they really actually very different? And to say that just is isn't justice, uh, just is isn't, is isn't, is that's, you yeah. that <laughs> that's fun. Um, that just is isn't justice, right? The, the two words or, or two sets of words, um, don't, they, they sound identical, but the, the claim is being made that these things, Um, are very different, right? And, uh, that quiet isn't always peace. Well, the difference between just is and justice is very quiet. It's very subtle, you know? And, and the idea that like you have to sort of pay very close attention to, to what just is, you know, to the norms and notions. Um, and to ask if your just is, is justice or if your just is isn't justice. Uh, or if your justice isn't always justice, um, and all that, uh, you know, and all that sort of through, you know, two little words or three words, I suppose. And, and, uh, a couple of sounds, a couple of little quibbles over, um, over some very subtle differences in, uh, in pronunciation.
1: Yeah. I really liked those vowel sounds in that wonderful little place where the, Words are almost they're like half repeating, right? What just is isn't right. <laughs> there's a the little there's a the little uh, two pairs there, uh, which I think there's a bunch of times in the poem where she she creates these subtle uh, connections between different lines or different sentences or different phrases using assonance and alliteration to complicate something that's supposed to be complicated, uh, which I, which I think is cool. Uh, yeah, awesome. I also was like, hmm, I have a note here. Uh, justice? Is? is she talking about ice? Right? <laughs> is ice not justice? Yeah. This is a situation where I'm reading too much into it. But you know what? That's kind of the point of poetry. <laughs> but it's also,
0: it's also like in this congressional record text, which, which you have to imagine she supplied to someone think, yeah. who supplied it to them, right? There's a hyphen. Between the uh, between the two words. And so it really is just ice. (laughs) You know, like, it's not the if it's a leap, it's not that far a leap. It's like it's like maybe a leap from a curb over, you know, some rainwater into the street. It's not a leap to the
1: other curb entirely. And for those people who might not be from the United States, ice is the acronym for Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, which is a federal sub-agency of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security that Donald Trump was had, had uh, mobilized pretty vocally and ferociously against specifically Latin Americans in the United States and Latin American immigrants, right? So there's a lot of anger about ICE and a lot of people who have very strong feelings about how it acted. Uh, and so the idea that it might be subtly referenced in this poem is not absurd. Um, in ter- especially considering the, the assumed perspective that's been presented so far of the, of the author, but anyway, okay. Uh, so
0: away from that. we're going, we're going at a, um, we're going at a, a snail's pace. So I'm going to read just a whole next section.
1: Oh man. Okay. Then is we it, can rifle through the different. Blocks. It, yeah, sure. exactly. Is
0: that, is that okay? Uh, before yeah. I do, Pete, I, I have a question for you. Yeah. Does your union have a purpose? <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, justice is just, justice. Um, God, I actually feel such stage fright because her performance of this was so good. Oh yeah. uh, we're not going to be performing it as good as she. Yeah, no, don't, don't worry about it. Um, and yet the dawn—I I see, already screwed it up. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time when a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a, to forge a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge a union with purpose. Let's stop there. Right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a
1: lot. Uh, first gloss. Uh, the Dawn is Hours Before We Knew It feels like an allusion to the first inaugural poem, which was Robert Frost, The Gift Outright, which he read in 1960 for the inauguration of John F. Kennedy. Uh, for Robert Frost, that meant that the nationality of being American had a necessary association with the people who live people living here. And if you. Feel the way Robert Frost does about trees and woods and stuff. Then that makes sense, right? Um, and also, and by so, the way,
0: uh, also uh, uh, Frost and uh, they are both alumni of Harvard.
1: Well, there you go. Right, exactly. <laughs> they have more in common than they have different. Uh, right, exactly. But here, the dawn. Right, we at the beginning we raise the question of what the day is. Right? What is the day? Is it is it a is it a situation where we are able to evaluate the damage that has happened? Is it the present? Is it is it a is it a time when things are better? If they are, why are they covered in shade? Right? What is the day? Uh but the notion that the dawn is somehow connected to nationality is an interesting proposition to put another pin in. Um uh, you wanna go through a couple of would other points on this as would we you go say, through.
0: I mean, would you say, Pete, that that sometimes the dawn is red? Would you <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, but sometimes that, I mean, the dawn
0: our, is dead r e a d right right um uh somehow we do it uh somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, so weathered and witnessed is again this ambiguity between uh what you endure, what you weather, right, what you climb, <laughs> and witnessed what you sort of have climbed. Um, and wit- witness in, you know, in a religious sense, witness is, uh, specifically in, uh, Christian witness is, you know, the story of your conversion, right? Like the story of your sort of testimony that, that Jesus is God. So the, um, yeah. So there's a kind of a, a story of like salvation kind of right. encoded in, in, in that word. And that like this kind of insistent somehow, somehow, um, Right. Is, is d- d- really kind of begging a question, you know, like, and, uh, how do you do it? Well, somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that, that isn't broken. Um. But, but simply unfinished. And I mean, simply, simply, what does simply unfinished mean Uh, in this situation? Like, A, how is it unfinished? And B, how is it, what is simple? Uh, or how is the unfinishing? How is the unfinishment accomplished simply? Um. Uh, right. That, uh, or, or, you know, maybe it's, it's you know, less, uh, less pedantic than that and more that it's just like, it, it isn't broken. It's, it just happens to be, it's just unfinished in the sense of, of, uh, only, you know, only or, um, merely. But the, the, but like, what is that? What is merely unfinished in, in the context? Um, of a nation that is to say, what are, what are we supposed to finish? And in, I'm, I'm reading ahead incorporating material from la- later, but like in, in a poem that talks about how democracy can be delayed, right. As though democracy were some sort of far off future state that we, that, you know, Zeno's paradox, like we keep moving towards, but never actually quite accomplish. Um, what is it, you know, what does it mean to, be, what would the finish
1: look like under those, um, sorts of, uh, circumstances? Right, awesome. And then moving on to the next part, the skinny black girl that jumps out to me that recalls uh, Ruby Bridges as the or symbolic American skinny black girl, right? The first girl uh, to I- integrate these uh, was it Arkan- the Little Rock, Arkansas public school system mm-hmm. uh, at the occasion of Brown versus the Board of Education and the famous Norman Rockwell Louis- painting, Louisiana, right? or oh, I, I thought don't... it was Arkansas, the Little Rock um according 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 to the oracle uh
0: yeah the all-white william franz elementary school in louisiana during the new orleans school
1: uh, desegregation on november 14th 1960 there you go so i was confused with okay so the little rock central high school uh is in which is another one that was deeply involved that's in arkansas and that was also involved in the segregation of the public schools, but that's not where Ruby Bridges was. Mm. Ruby Bridges was in Louisiana. Okay, fair enough. Awesome. All right. So at any rate, uh, there's a famous Normal Rockwell painting of this little black girl who's being having things thrown at her while she's walking in the streets. Um, and and this idea that, uh, you know, she's in she's again, this figure who has endured so much descended from slaves raised by. So here's an interesting thing, Right. We, the successors of a country and a time when. So this is the place where I think the comma would be interesting, right? So if there's a comma after we, right? Because this sentence isn't syntactically a sentence. We, the successors of a country and a time when a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president, right? That could all be parenthetical, right? We uh-huh. are the successors of this thing that also but it's only to find yourself reciting for one. That that could all be a parenthetical around we. That's who we
0: are. Sure. It's also this whole section is in opposition to the we before. It would be right. like, you know, we we the few, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers, right? Like it's it's um somehow we do it. Who are we? Wait, what what is this we that you're talking about? we happen to be <laughs> we since you ask are, are the people the successors of a country and, and a time right I, I i took this whole thing it's not a it's not a complete sentence in the sense that there's no predication unless you understand um uh the verb are as the second word of of this whole of this whole stanza
1: yeah you, you see what i'm saying Sure. I, I would also suggest that you could read it as we, the successors of a country in a time when a skinny black girl descended from slaves raised by a single mother, we can dream of becoming president, right? Uh, is in there too. But yeah, exactly. It's not a, I mean, and the poem will address this immediately thereafter. Right. But I just wanted to point out that we've gone from describing things that happened hundreds of years ago as the things that we've borne witness to to a point now where the thing that we are, we are the successors of a time. And then she describes what's currently happening. Uh-huh. So we're not just the successors of the past. Right. We are also the successors of the immediate past. Sure. Even to the extent of the things that are happening now, right. which is, I think, an interesting way of complicating the usual critique, uh, well, not critique, but the usual narrativization of American history that at least I was taught in high school, which is a whole bunch of terrible things happened in the past. Uh, we can try, we can be better than this, right? Um, and here it's like, well, you know, the past that is happening right now is still the past, uh, right? As soon as it's done. Sure. Um, and so, so that having finished this this sentence that isn't a sentence about this history that isn't a history, right? About this present that's a past and is sort of escaping into the past. Yes, we are far from polished uh far from pristine but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union forge a union that is perfect we're striving to forge a union with purpose so it seems like saying we are far from polished is referencing the fact that the sentence that we just got out of is a little bit incomplete but there's also other sentences that have been fragments as we've gotten into this point and of course it's none of it is at the point where you can't understand what she's saying yeah right and so this also to me recalls a an irony in the in early American history, which is on one hand seems to be referenced by the title of the poem, which is the city on the hill, the notion that we are pristine, this sort of puritanical, uh, you know, the new world, which maybe doesn't even have the sins of the old world, and can be this gleaming city on a hill. And I think a lot of uh, discussion that has been happening recently in the public sphere has concerned the notion that well, we need to deal with the fact that the history of th- of narrativizing our country as being this perfect place needs to not be the way that we talk about it because it wasn't ever really perfect, right? Um, because at the time that they were sort of aspiring to do this thing, there was also enslavement going on and all this other stuff and genocide of Native Americans and so on and so forth. Um, but at the same time, it reminds me of appeals to the national character of Americans as distinct from the British uh yes at the time of the revolution but even going back into the 17th century this idea that americans were more rugged and less refined than europeans mm. right the the notion one of the one of the things that gets bandied about a lot on social media is of course the problematic and i again i like the word problematic when it refers to the fact that you're addressing a problem right the problematic use of the word american to refer to people from the united states yeah. which uh when you think about the history of the united states is there to distinguish you from British people, right? It's the salient cleavage is not, you know, I am American among all the countries of the earth. It's I am American and you are British and we're both in the British empire. Right. And so that's the sort of origin of the term. Uh, whereas of course, in a larger scale, it refers to everybody from the Americas. Right. And so if you're from a Latin American country, you might use the word American to refer to all Americans. But if you're in the United States, you might use the word American to refer to people in the United sure. States. I mean, at
0: the time, yes. at the time, American included a lot of Canada.
1: Well, there you go. Yes. But the idea that that the we are far from polished and far from pristine is both a positive and a negative because it appeals both to a national character, which is also connected to this idea of having endured bad things and come out the other side. Right. Or at least. Are we coming out the other side? Is the other side the thing that is happening? Are we at the dawn yet? We don't know, right? So this we is, have to read the rest of the poem.
0: This next couple of lines, Peter, is something that that I've kind of struggled with a little bit, and, yeah. and I'm curious to hear what you think. So we're far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to forge a union that is perfect. To uh, we are striving to forge. Wait, in this I mean, transcript- let me double
1: check what the language there yeah, is, Yeah, exactly. Because I think I made a typo here in our transcript. In it. Um, Let's see, we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge a union with purpose. So there, okay. So,
0: so it, interesting. I mean, there is a, uh, just ask James Joyce. There is a, a, um, double meaning of forge, uh, as in the artist who forges in the, forges in the smithy of his soul, the uncreated conscience of his race. Uh, but the, the, but that does, so I, cure, I, I asked you to listen for, for rhymes far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. So does it mean, is, is that does it? should we understand a little ellipsis here? But that doesn't mean, uh, new thought. We are striving to form a union that is perfect. Or does it mean? I don't mean, think so. No, I don't think so either. That, yeah. But that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. Yeah, we're not, we're not polished. But in our defense, we're not trying to form a union that's perfect. We're trying to forge a union with purpose. And actually, now that I've, now that I'm saying it, uh, it's actually snapping into place a little bit just in terms of, of parsing, uh, what she's trying to, trying to get at. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're a little, you know, uh, we, we ain't got a barrel of money. Maybe we're ragged and funny, but. Um, th- th- look, being a, being a bunch of swells wasn't our goal. Our goal is to forge. And here I think forge, uh, as a smith forges a, um, you know, as a smith, or actually Arnold Schwarzenegger was on social media recently talking about how, how a sword, how Conan's sword was forged and tempered by, by fire and water and the, the beating of a hammer, you know, that, um, you know, that, that we are, are we are uh, far from polished? We're far from pristine. We're a little ragged. We're a little sweaty. Uh, to use to use a word the generations he likes, but that's because we're doing hard work. We're doing uh, the blacksmithing work, you know, to forge a union. And again, here's a dangling modifier, Pete. Here's a little a- ambiguity with purpose. Are we right. forging with purpose a union? Or <laughs> are, are we forging a union which is a union that has purpose?
1: Right. And the answer is both. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, always. The answer is always yes. Worth noting another reference here. Uh, uh, enthusiasts for historical documents and things that Nicolas Cage might be vaguely interested in stealing. Uh, A more perfect union is famously a phrase from the preamble to the U.S. Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Uh, Another situation where I think the initial... The initial okay so uh what was the word i'm looking for um textualism strict textualism right uh has a problem here because the more perfect union that is being referenced in the preamble to the constitution i think should be understood in relation to the articles of confederation which were the previous government right which was geared toward uh, not even necessarily a single country, but rather a confederation of states. And so the more perfect union is along the lines of a country wherein the states are together more of a whole, as opposed to one where the t- full moral sense of of humanity has been actualized, which right. is the way that that phrase tends to be read. So the, right?
0: the, the, the a little Latin is helpful here. Per, yeah. Perfect comes from... Uh, the prefix per meaning through in this case and, uh, effect is from fakio fakere, the, the verb for to do. Um, right. so what it means is sort of done through, like fully done, like uh, completed. So, yeah. it, uh, so a thing that is perfect is a thing that is, uh, that is complete. Um, and that is kind of, uh, if you think of kind of done through, like done through a process, you can kind of read it as as being like uh, completely transformed uh, from one thing to another, perfected. Yes. Um, this, and, if yeah. you
1: are a Dragon Ball fan, you will of course recognize that this identifies perfect cell and the otherwise paradoxically named super perfect cell, who <laughs> should not be able to be super if he is already perfect. Uh, but right. yes, there, there it's, is like, a- it's like
0: uh, it's like pregnant or dead. You you either are or you aren't. <laughs>
1: See, there's this robot, there's this cyborg that gradually uh, evolves its form in Dragon Ball and gets stronger and stronger from absorbing people and absorbing the powers of others, including the androids of Dr. Gero. But I have a feeling that she wasn't talking about that.
0: <laughs> I don't know, Peter's poetry, and really, it's what, whatever our interpretive community brings, brings to it. So, one I, more, before we go on, yeah. one more little bit of, of Latin uh, the word compose right comes from uh the the prefix uh com or sometimes con i think meaning well con means against but i think in sometimes it's it's also the same prefix meaning to put meaning together and right. pose uh comes from um pono ponere, uh which is means you place. beat someone at beat someone at counterstrike right right exactly <laughs> <laughs> now what is it say it again
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> pone uh yeah exactly it's uh it, it's what it's what you do to noobs you know no, but say
1: again, sorry, I interrupted uh, you.
0: Pono uh is yeah. the is the present tense and ponere is the, the infinitive, um meaning to place. So something that is composed uh, is something that's placed together right uh as in the sense of of in classical cuisine, French cuisine there is a composed salad which is like where you like lay the lettuce leaves out one by one in with perfect military uh uh precision um composition is literally like placing words or notes or something together and um in mathematics composition of functions means sort of placing functions together so that together they form a more perfect union they they <laughs> like uh you know like uh, you're double function and your add one function can become like a double and add one function if the two are composed together
1: right and that's for the next section which is to compose a country committed to all cultures colors characters and conditions of man yes yeah which is i mean that's some straight up that rhetoric is like classic right the the, i feel like that sort of alliterative uh i mean what is it is it is it climax or anticlimax? uh Cultures, colors, characters, and conditions. Uh, I guess they speak to things that are more and more personal, um, right? I guess you have, or what is it? Is it? It's interesting to try to order those things. Well, your yeah, culture, but it's also color, it's, it's more
0: personal. Range. But they they also are less and less contingent. Right. Mm. Like cultures, colors, characters and conditions. You can think of the conditions of man being defined almost platonically, right? Like, you know, the condition of misery or the condition of joy or the can, you know, the condition of victory or defeat or something like that. Uh, characters as being slightly more contingent than that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because they are, there are some kind of like absolutes, maybe kind of like ethical or virtuous absolutes, but then that, you know, they are, um, uh uh not polluted but they're intermingled a little bit with the like the contingent history uh colors is a is a physical reality and so that is more contingent and cultures is kind of the most contingent of all because it it is you know completely path dependent completely down to to historical accident so uh, So, that's another way of reading it
1: awesome yeah so compose of course we're we're writing a poem, and all poems are about writing poems. So to compose a country, uh, it also might be to write a poem that, that is a sort of founding document for how a country should go forward, or also to be the population of the country. Sure. I mean, uh, it could you
0: know. be an inaugural poem for the country.
1: Yeah, there you go. Maybe. I would also suggest that in identifying that it is a country committed to all characters of man. Man, of course, interesting choice, probably picked for rhetorical impact here. Uh, right. That she she can get away with it, I suppose, rather yeah. than saying people. But uh, there's a bunch of these in the poem where she is like, referencing some sort of past sacred documents of sorts, wherein a particular value of America is espoused and is then calling upon the present day to progress from it right so we are not striving for to form a union that is perfect the constitution exists but that's not what we're trying to do right now right and in this case we're committed to all characters of man well in terms of where she's speaking and who she is as she speaks right uh You that might recall the, you know, the I Have a Dream speech, which I think is what a lot of people are gonna think of when they read this, probably to their detriment, right? If that's the only speech that you think of as ever being given by a black orator, like that's a problem. And if you compare every speech ever given by every black orator to that one speech, that's also a problem. But at the same time, I mean she did say explicitly she studied it when she wrote this thing, but also like it's a problem that exists, right? Well, how can you not Um, study it? It's a, a, to study American oratory, it would be
0: like studying, you know, English drama and not studying Shakespeare, right? Like it, it's, you can't not. Uh, so, study it, but yeah. I, I totally, I totally am with you on your frustration that like, oh, a black person
1: is speaking. We must be in dialogue with Dr. King. Yeah, exactly. Because that's the one I'm comfortable with. <laughs> right. with. They can't possibly involve, you know, Malcolm X. Yeah, that would right, be exactly. scary. Or d- not uh, even that.
0: It's like, that's the one I know. And yeah, of course yeah. the universe is something that's comprehensible to me. <laughs> right?
1: like, of course <laughs> the only all important... sorts of references in here to stuff I've never encountered, right? right? Like, yeah, exactly. Um, but, but it is interesting that in that speech, they refers to you know, judging not by the color of their skin but the content of their character. Here, content of your character is added to the color of your skin as something that the country should be committed to regardless of what's going on, right? Yeah. Like the country shouldn't care whether you're good or bad, right? The country should be committed to everybody, uh, right? And, and it's, it's, this, this idea that it should be better than leaving behind the people that it thinks are bad. Uh, I think is part of what's in here in much the same way that we're leaving behind the notion that the constitution was perfect when it was crafted. Mm. And we're moving on to the idea of a purpose that the country is supposed to serve in the present moment. Right. Uh, Right. Cool. All right. Uh, I'm sorry I go so slow. This poem is just so rich. No, that's, Uh,
0: that's uh, totally okay. I, I, um, it's interesting. We have a couple ways that we can deal with it, but for now, I'll just, uh, oh wait, no, I read the last, uh, I read the last bit. Can you read the, the next bit, the next, you know, four or five stanzas or something?
1: And so there we go. That that's a two word phrase that you might put in the end of a sonnet. Right. And so so something is happening. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our futures first, we must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. I think and then I guess I could end it with we seek harm to none and harmony for all right uh which is i feel like this is the place where or i think that this is the place where we can identify a very subtle uh um pronoun shift yep right because up till this point we've been talking about we and here we talk about us mm. now again we and us not that different in terms of words but us is also the name of the country that this is about right <laughs> Yep. Right. So yep. we lift our gazes not to what stands between the U.S., but what stands before the U.S. I think that that, t- that is in there. I think that that's in the soup. Right. I think that's in the sauce here that that the we here is being transitioned to. It's previously been talking about different conting- constituencies that are within the United States as they exist in opposition to each other around narratives related to slavery and oppression. Right. We carry the loss. We carry, we drive the slave ships. We weather the, weather and witness the crimes, right? We go through the storm in the ships and we witness the terrible things that happened, right? So the different groups of we that have been, uh, oh, you know, we, uh, are we the, the little girl who could dream of becoming president, right? Uh, or is we the people who are looking at the little girl who could dream of becoming president? We don't really know who we are, right? We are far from polished, but here we becomes us. Not we, us, right? Yep. <laughs> which well, which is a synonym, but poetically is not. Right? It, no, it,
0: absolutely, absolutely not. It, yeah. If only because things aren't synonyms if they don't sound the same. In, yeah, po- there you go. <laughs> in poetry, uh, grammatically, I'll point out that it's the objective case, right? Yeah. Of the and and so there's something I sort of want. I, I this, and I'm only half joking here, but like, I wonder if there isn't something a little objectifying about this, right? Like, us is what happens to a we when it becomes an object. Uh, you know, that is to say, it's, it's maybe reified, it's, it's thingified, you know, in, in a particular sense and turned, turned into something that can be sort of considered in, in the abstract, right? The way, the way that like, you can't necessarily consider we in the abstract. It's, it's, uh, it's like, it's it's just we, it's, it's just the, the people who are doing something, you know, but, but us, you know, is, us is a, is a thing that has already been us and like how your, we gets us you know, um, and like how, uh, you know, whether, <laughs> whether, who gets to, to, to sit at the front of the us, the, no. you know,
1: that. wow, what's dead? Wow. <laughs> Wow.
0: But the, um, you know, which is just the worst, terrible pun, but also maybe says something about how, uh, you know, uh, how, um, membership in, in this us is, is distributed a little bit. Um, right. so the, the, uh, right. That, that like it's, it's already U.S. Uh, The country is already a thing. Right. And and in in the transition to from from being a we to being a thing, um, there is uh, there's a lot that that sort of happens in that in that transformation.
1: Right, right, right. And, And this all builds up to the line. We seek harm to none and harmony for all, which is a rewrite, a paraphrase of with malice towards none and charity for all which is from Lincoln's second inaugural address, which is carved in the interior of the Lincoln Memorial alongside the Gettysburg address and is is specifically about slavery, right? So, and and particularly about, about moving onward after, uh, and this is from, this is 1865, right? So the, the notion here is that slavery at this point, slavery has not yet fully been eradicated and one would argue even to this day, it hasn't been fully eradicated, but, to the extent we are pre-Juneteenth, right? We are, we are three months prior to Juneteenth where the union troops are still moving through the South. Uh, for a lot of people, uh, the new year and the end of slave, the end of slavery was celebrated the new year because that's when a lot of stuff turned over in terms of legality. Right. But for a lot of people is also celebrated in June because that's when, you know, the troops in Galveston showed up. And so a lot of the deal with Juneteenth has to do with it being different regional holidays and places where it happened different times. And only recently have they really all gotten on board with everybody celebrating at the same time. But the point being that uh, this speech is uh, Lincoln talking about, well, I should probably just read a brief excerpt from it, right? Um, He's not ambiguous, right? Which is, um, uh, well, I'll read it. One eighth of the whole population were colored slaves, not distributed generally over the Union, but localized in the southern part of it. These slaves constituted peculiar and powerful interest. All knew that this interest was somehow the cause of the war. Take that. Right. All new. This is this is the president saying it in front of everybody to strengthen, perpetuate and extend this interest was the object for which the insurgents would rend the union even by war, while the government claimed no right to do more than to restrict the territorial enlargement of it. So that's that's again, that's not the only opinion of this issue that Lincoln ever espoused publicly. But that's where we're at with the second inaugural. And the line is uh Uh, what is it? uh, Let me see if I can find a good place to pick up where it doesn't take me too long to get to the end, because it's not long. Uh, Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. The war isn't over yet. Yet, if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, so it still must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether with malice toward none with charity for all with firmness in the right as god gives us to see the right let us strive on to finish the work we are in to bind up the nation's wounds to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations and then they shot him and the terrorists overthrew the southern part of the country <laughs> 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 but um <laughs> Sorry. That's, I, I'm i joking because it's so sad, right? I have to laugh because otherwise I would cry. But it's interesting. I mean, I think when people talk about the time period, they tend to not talk about it in such direct terms a lot of the time. Um, but also uh, we lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all is, is a very different. It's, it's like a it's a spin on Lincoln, to put it kindly, right? Um, not kindly, but but I mean, I feel like I could go on for another like 45 minutes just about the difference between harm and malice and harmony and charity, right? Um, because it's about because with Lincoln, the malice and the charity puts himself and the union in the driver's seat, sure. right? This is about the president speaking to everybody. The president is in charge and the president is telling you how it's going to be. But um, with harm for none and harmony for all then, uh, Amanda Gorman is not saying, you know, I am the dictator of America and I am telling you how it's going to work. Right. Um, but sure. at the same time, there's a similar aspiration, right? Uh, we must put our differences aside later in arms. we can reach out, et cetera, et cetera. So well, I there's, think the arms here, yeah, there's sort
0: of a focus and there's a focus in Lincoln on mm, states of, uh, like states of mind, right? Like malice and charity are dispositions of, of the spirit as it were. And I mean, it, you know, it shouldn't escape us because it certainly didn't escape Lincoln that, a charity in is you know First Corinthians thirteen is the is it's translated love a lot, but it, or in in Latin caritas. I guess that that must be a Latin Latin translation of Greek. But the yeah. you know the um the idea of Christian charity is, is what he's talking about, and harm and harmony are a lot more material. They you know they pertain not to a disposition of the soul, but to a disposition of material reality. You know, and that and that um i think also arms arms and harm harmony uh are are again th- there's kind of a warning in that that like it's it's sort of difficult to tell these these th- things apart like are you doing harm or are you doing harmony um it's uh yeah, the answer may shock you <laughs> <laughs> uh pete we've come we've we've come to our our normal stopping point uh I don't oh, p- we
1: can't stop now we got to keep going <laughs>
0: okay this is or do not- you want to
1: do a two parter
0: <laughs> well yeah that's what i was gonna say i feel like okay. i feel actually like we're at the we're at the halfway point of the poem more or right. less i mean and we we could we could quibble and i will because i think it's actually when the line the hi- this is the hill we climb um, right. Comes that is sort of meant to be the the geometric center of the poem the the kind of the the zenith you know of the hill if you will and that like we've been fighting up the hill and then we're going to fight down it or if you think of it you know maybe because the first part ten is is sort of about a hardship and the second part is about exhortation the part that we haven't gotten to yet right. Um but so maybe we're like going down into a valley and then coming up and the point this is the hill we climb begins the climb of the hill uh with the exhortation there there's a good there's a good argument to be made that this is that like part one you know this is part one and that uh maybe we gotta maybe we gotta uh, save the rest for another episode
1: oh man breaks my heart but you know the the progress of a nation sometimes <laughs> takes two weeks the, <laughs> the podcast the, the
0: progress of a podcast uh, certainly does all right let us know uh, what you think so far. Comments on the show notes of this episode. Um, you know, v- very interested in in uh, references that that you caught that we didn't. Uh, very interested in kind of syntactic uh, combinations that really caught your ear that uh, we maybe didn't have a chance to highlight. Um, and uh, maybe we can uh, maybe we can all pick this up next week. Sound good, Pete?
1: Man, I can't wait to talk about that fig tree. Oh, boy. All right.
0: Uh, Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back next week with more Amanda Gorman and more uh, talking about the uh, popular culture. Uh, If you need more Overthinking It till then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. Uh,
1: In this case, it deserves... (laughs) <laughs> All right, I'll say the tagline. I'll say the tagline. <laughs> Probably
0: doesn't deserve.
1: <laughs> See, he's a cyborg. <laughs> All of the androids are really cyborgs. So Dr. Giraud made these things that are called androids, but they're really cyborgs. And Imperfect Cell is not necessarily suggesting that when you get to Perfect Cell, he has like a moral perfection, but it's it suggests this notion that he's coming into being. And actually, Perfect Cell needs to absorb androids. Uh, uh, oh, man, I think it's, yeah, 17 and 18. I blanked on whether it was 18 and 19. That's embarrassing. 17 and 18, right, before he can become What I'm saying is that in order for America to become a more perfect union, Uh we need to taunt Vegeta so that he makes a tactical (laughs) error and allows us to absorb the final android. And then once we reach our final four, we'll be unstoppable.